0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. We have a special guest for you today. He covers the Southern Conference for our website. His name is SoCon John Hooper, and the SoCon has just – it's been a conference this year that's maybe more interesting than any other in college basketball, be it a power conference, high major, mid-major, whatever – So we had to bring John on to discuss everything there is to know about this league. It's one that has a team in the top 25 in Furman. Furman, of course, beat the defending national champions Villanova at Villanova earlier this year. It's a league that has Wofford, a team with one of the best players in the country in Fletcher McGee. Fletcher McGee is going to hit that 3,000 point mark later on this year. They also have UNC Greensboro, a team that's ranked in the top 100 right now. And gave Gonzaga all it could handle in the NCAA tournament last year. So it won't surprise anyone if they end up uh, back in the big dance this season. So we're going to talk about all of those teams. And we're going to talk about a whole lot more with John. We're also going to hear from Jordan Lyons of Furman and Bob Ritchie, Furman's head coach. John was at their game, a 77-69 win over Charleston Southern on Tuesday. And he got some great stuff from the two of them. So we'll hear what they have to say about the Paladins' start to the season. But first, let's hear from John Hooper. SoCon John. John, if we could just start, does me, the lay of the land of the, the league right now? or Who's impressed you? And how is it compared to what your expectations of during the preseason?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think that um, I didn't really expect Furman to be... I mean, I knew they'd be good, but, you know, it's always um guarded expectations or um you know you don't want to say, well, you know, that this league's gonna be great, but I felt like the, the top four teams in the league um could play with anybody. And we saw that with Wofford last year at North Carolina. We saw that with Furman at Tennessee. Um UNC Greensboro at NC State. So those two teams returned um uh, well at least UNC G and Wofford returned most of what they had last year and then ETSU does what they do as far as um, bringing in and kind of just mixing in new guys, their JUCO guys, and, and Coach Forbes kind of knows that area because he um, he actually came from the JUCO ranks, and so he was a player at the JUCO level, and then when he had to um, serve the show cause after the Tennessee um, the fallout at Tennessee, he was a JUCO coach at I think Northwest Florida State Junior College, so. He knows that landscape, so I felt like the top four teams were going to be pretty good, but then you look at the Citadel and what they've done and their RPI was really high. It was 29, I think last week or something like that. And um, they returned a lot. So most of the league returned, most of the top teams in the league or the teams that I felt like would compete returned um, a good number of players. And then even the, the teams like Furman who graduated four seniors and something like forty five points of scoring, uh they they went out and recruited and they, they got some guys that maybe fell through the cracks a little bit with um the, the other major programs kind of missed on. So um I feel like that that was a big thing for them. And I think when you look at Coach Bob Ritchie's um track record, a I think I wrote about it like two two years ago that he recruited, um, at the time, five of the top 11 scorers in Charleston Southern basketball history in his five years as an assistant. So um, he's always been able to recruit. He recruited Stephen Kroon, who was the player of the year, and, and Devin Sibley, who was the player of the year, um, back-to-back years in fifteen sixteen 16 and sixteen seventeen. 17 and so. Um, I think he just – they don't have one great player, Furman, but they have they have what he says is called – what he terms enough. And so um, when you look at it that way, they're just real versatile, but these can't just focus on one guy.
1: And now here's a little bit of what Furman coach Bob Ritchie had to say. It's,
2: it's
3: exciting, and, uh, you know, it's fun to walk out there. I say this humbly. I've, I've walked out a lot of nights, and there's not a lot of people out there here since 2011 and I've heard all the rumors you know and uh, all the reasons why we can't you know that the students don't like basketball games and you know we're just a little bit out here and travelers rest and you know we're not downtown and all that stuff you know we've put a lot of blood and sweat equity in this program over the last five years and and we've kept this vision alive that we can win here we kept this vision alive that we can do great things that this community and get excited about it and, and we want to keep pushing it We want to keep pushing it to where it's not just about us winning, right? The thing that you celebrate is you get on Twitter and you get on social media and and you got the FBI stuff and all the stuff in college sports that's so negative. We got got a group of guys that care about their academics. They care about winning in life. They care about working hard. They come and take red shirts. They don't have a lot of people that recruited them. You know, all of a sudden, who's this guy? Oh, you know, they lost four seniors. They're not going to be as good. And then all of a sudden, they play together. They play team basketball. They play pretty hard. You can see that they're connected out there. And so it's just it's it's fun to watch uh, if you're a spectator. And I think it's also pretty neat that, that we're doing it the right way and we're doing it with good people. And I think the more we get exposure to that, I think that people are starting to get excited about it.
1: You know, I think you put it very well that they don't have, you know, that one star, that one household name. But guys like Jordan Lyons and I know you've talked a lot about Clay Mounts. So they, they've done a really good job. Who, who has surprised you from that team?
2: I think one of the guys that would actually, I would say, it's not necessarily a surprise, but like he can step up and score when when he needs to, and that's Alex Hunter, the point guard. And if you look at his um, assists, he has like three turnovers in the last three games, or something crazy like that, and then he's got like um, I think, let's see, twenty-four assists in the past three games, so. He's a guy that takes, not only takes care of the basketball, but is just efficient. And as we see with the Elon game, Hunter had 18 second half points, didn't score in the first half. But he's a guy that, if against Villanova. I think Villanova, he hadn't really scored, um, the ball, which he can, but, uh, during this, prior to, um, the, the Villanova game. And so I think he really hurt them. I think he had 11 points and, and maybe 10 assists in that game. And um so I think he's the guy that really hurt them because they, they, you know, you're prepared for a Matt Rafferty and a Jordan Lions, but I think an Alex Hunter gives them an X factor.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good call. And just looking at the numbers from that game, he, he did play really well. Is, did you expect the Sperman team to have the poise to be able to go in and beat the defending national champions? I mean, that's, <laughs> hey, that's not something very many things to do. We especially not one, you know, that isn't, you know, doesn't have NCAA tournament experience. hasn't right. necessarily been the team that's won the big games over the years. Did, did it surprise you?
2: Well, it's funny. Um, it didn't shock me that they beat Royal Chicago because um, I felt like they could get they could get that game. Um, but it shocked me that they did beat over Not. Not that it shocked me that they would stay close to them or play in the game with them. That that really wouldn't have shocked me. But to beat them, especially in overtime on their home floor, um, that was especially when it went to overtime, I think um, that shocked me because there's a certain mental toughness that you have to have to not only go on the road and win a basketball game, but against a good team, against a team that's won a national championship the previous year and um a lot of teams get intimidated by that. But I think this is gonna this really has less to do with basketball, but like, you know, of course Andrew Brown, who has battled all kinds of injuries and and uh, life threatening things in during the offseason, he he went into have a routine hernia surgery. They ended up cutting into his intestine. And so he had to be rushed into ICU. He was losing, you know, a lot of blood, and um, Coach Richie told me a story. And So, he he said, okay, so there's this one night, he's like, we were all at the hospital, and he's like, you know, Rafferty and I were the only ones that were still there. And so, he said, something told me I needed to stay there. And so, like, um, what happened was, I guess the the breathing tube that they put in or your feeding tube that they put down your throat through your nose. Um, Well, it was causing some discomfort and they were going to have to take it out. And so like um, coach Ritchie was like, it was amazing because here they are pulling this tube out of his nose. He's bleeding everywhere and he's just in such pain and he's like, here's his teammate and roommate and best friend, Matt Rafferty, over there, like, seeing all this. And he's, like, literally almost in tears. <laughs> he's just, like, seeing his teammate just have something taken out of his nose, like, through his throat or whatever. And he said, you know, that changes – he's like, why do you never want any anyone to go through a certain situation like that? That changes kids. He's like, that, that changes – the whole dynamic of what you see and and how how a team is, you know? And to me, that made a lot of sense. I mean, that was prior to any of the Villanova game or anything, but it makes sense now. Like, it it changes how you look at it, you know?
1: Now here's a little bit of what Jordan Lyons had to say.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the awesome things about it is that, you know, with the loss of, the four instrumental seniors in this program that we had, everybody thought we were going to drop off. And, you know, everyone with the exception of us ourselves, you know, thought that the program was going to take a downfall. When we knew it, we were were only going to be much better. And, you know, I knew that, you know, this was going to be a very special team. I knew we were going to be a lot longer, more athletic. We're going to have more size, you know, which is a big dimension that we haven't had in the past. And, you know, that does a lot for us you know this team is we're really connected you know we play together you know and we we do this for for something that's bigger than ourselves and you know I I really believe that you know this team was going to be special and um you know this summer I knew that I was gonna I would take this team on the on the floor versus anybody and you know it's been awesome to be able to go on <clears throat> some national stages and, and 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 prove people wrong and you know that's something that we've worked so hard for, and it's something that we're going to continue to keep working for. Basketball is an interesting game. I think it uh, teaches humility.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you you have a game like you had with 54 points earlier this year, but then again you have a game like you had tonight where things weren't going as well shooting the ball, but you affected the game in other ways. Is that that's just as important as scoring? 54 points, but not people don't look at it as that way, but how do you... Is that something that you have to learn? Um, because if you look at your, your box score, it's a pretty good box score from what you did and other ways to affect the game tonight.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually talking to somebody about, about this last night, you know. I personally... In my career, I want to be remembered as somebody who was a great teammate and somebody who did whatever it took to, to win. And, you know, tonight, um, the offense wasn't going. That's just that's just how it is, you know. It was going to be nice like that, you know. Um, all great players ha- have off nights, and tonight was one of them for me. But I tried my absolute best to not let that take me out the game. And I wanted to be able to still affect the game through defense and and through moving the ball and trying to get other people's shots. And, you know, I wanted to contribute.
1: One team that has been there that I think everybody knows at least a little bit about, I think it's because of their uh, their star, is Whopper. And, uh, you know, everyone talks about Fletcher McGee, and mm-hmm. he's obviously great. Um, but, you know, looking at their team page, it's it's not Fletcher who is, you know, on the uh, SoCon all Kenton team right now. It's Cameron Jackson. So Wofford has a couple of different weapons right now that they could beat you with. Are
2: are they the most dangerous team in the conference, or is that still Furman? Um, in a way, it is Wofford. In a way, it's Furman. I think they're one A and one B. Um, I think Wofford's. The new thing about them is that, that Cameron Jackson and I've kind of thought this for a couple of years now. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying Fletcher McGee is a tremendous player and i think he's you know one of the best players at in mid-major basketball or in college basketball in general but i think at this level to get a cameron jackson you just don't find many of those big men that are like that and to have a weapon like him i think is is as important to offer success as selection is. because that gives you a different element Teams have to um focus, they can't just focus on stopping Fletcher McGee. And I think, um you know, I watched part of the Kansas game. Cameron Jackson's added to his game, mid-range game. He even stepped out and hit a three-pointer in that game. So, something that was not common for him, let's say, a couple of years ago. And I think, uh, I think having him hitting on all cylinders has been nice for them. Um, Staying out of foul trouble and having some support off the bench has, is a must, I think, for Wofford, um, because if he gets in foul trouble and they don't have scoring in a low post, it can sometimes make them a little bit um, susceptible and maybe a little bit one-dimensional. Um, but I think they have the depth now to support him in that role, so... In that way, they improve themselves in a, a recruiting aspect, and I think that makes them uh, one of, you know, probably with Furman, I would say the most dangerous team in the league.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense, and you know, looking at at their numbers, this, this is the team that has you know, a top seventy five offense in the country, a borderline top one hundred defense. So they are pretty balanced. They get help off of their bench. It, it seems like they are a complete team to me. Is that is that right?
2: Yeah, I, I I think so. Um you look at what Storm Murphy was able to do as point guard as a freshman last year. He he's a guy that can score, but he also is smart. He takes good care of the basketball. Um and he 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 finds uh typically um, he gets the, he finds the right path to the right shooter, if that makes sense. Um, and, and that's some, something that's important, I think, because plenty of point guards, you know, can have good ball handling skills, but he makes, he he almost, they, they call it in football throwing a guy open. Well, he comes almost half a guy open. And I think that is an important thing that I've seen with his game um, over the you know, a little over a year is, is point guard for them. I think Nathan Hoover is a guy that's really improved. Um, he's a guy that that keeps you from just focusing on Fletcher the He can shoot the basketball. We saw him have I think a career high thirty points against South Carolina. Um, so so they're they're really good. And then the kid that transferred in um, from from uh, College of Charleston, Goodson. He's a guy that's really helped in the low post, and so you know those those things. I think Mike Young tweaked a few things, and Goodson was getting Goodson was a huge boon for them. I think as far as giving, like I said, Jackson some depth in in the paint, and, and giving them him a little bit more support than he's had in previous seasons. So I think that makes them more versatile, and I think that you know you look at. What they did at South Carolina, I I fully expect that 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 Stanford game had not got canceled. I think they would have beaten them. Um, And then they they played pretty well against North Carolina. They they really played a tough non conference schedule. And you know um, it was a close game until that Kansas you know goes on that crazy run in the second half and and seems like twenty eight to nothing run. But you know that was that was as much about Wofford not having a good shooting night, as it was Kansas just being really good. Yeah, I mean
1: you you can never fault the team for losing to perhaps the best team in the country, especially when they get out like that. But you know, I'm glad you mentioned their schedule because it it was really demanding. Is that something that's typical of Wofford, and, and has that helped them? You think so far over the first month left so of the season?
2: Well, and that's interesting you should say that because I think at this level, I think I'm going to go old school on here. I think Bob McKillop was the guy that I first noticed did that the best. You know, at this level, he scheduled just an absolute asinine
4: (laughs) non-conference
2: schedule when they were in the SOCON. And it made them it made them tough out every night in the conference because they might, you know, they might go 500 in their non-conference or below 500 and you'll be like, wow, this team's not very good, but when you're playing North Carolina, UCLA, Duke, you know, you're going to get better. And as long as your kids don't get down on themselves, I think that's the important thing as a head coach. And I think that's something that veteran head coaches like McKillop and, um, you know, Mike Young can, can navigate sort of. And I was thinking about that the other night, you know, regarding Furman, like, how do you prepare yourself for being ranked for the first time in school history? I mean, like as a coach, like, what do you tell your kids? Like, okay, guys, uh, you know, don't look at it now, but we're, we're ranked, you know, we haven't ever been ranked before, you know, like, like, how do you manage that situation is, it's really interesting to me as a head coach, like as a psychology, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah. How do your kids even feel? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, especially in that league
1: where you really don't see that very often. You don't see teams getting that national recognition. <laughs> um, and
2: it's actually, I mean, it since 2008,
1: I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, actually, I, I did want to ask you about that, I forgot we were talking about Furman a few minutes ago. Uh, it, do you think that rankings deserve, do you think that they earn that? Is that are they one of the 25 best teams in the country?
2: Um. <laughs> I'm putting you, you know, on the spot. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to argue that they – I mean, they're not blowing people out, but they're, like, doing what they're supposed to do. So, I mean, like, there's times that you would think they're not. Like, okay, so there was a point in the Elon game where that was within three. And then Furman just, like, took off. Like, it was – like, they hit a different gear that, like, Elon didn't have. And I don't know whether that's okay guys, we just need to go start playing now or if it's just that way. And it, it happened at USC Upstate the other day. Um, a twenty seven six run that seemed to start the second half. So, I mean good teams I guess my my answer to that would be good teams can be involved in a close game with a not so good team and then just take off. Whereas or teams that deserve to be ranked I guess, would be the ones that would just take off from the other team. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, in that way, I think Furman probably is. But I think also, um, I don't think that's, I don't think that can be a focus for them, you know? Like, you can't really think of it as, are we one of the 25 best teams in the country? I think if that becomes a focus to them, then I think they put pressure on themselves and end up not finishing out the way they would like. So um, I guess that really doesn't answer your question. But um, having seen – I will tell you this. Having seen other teams play at, – at, Furman could hang with Nevada. They may not beat them, but they would hang with them. Um, they would probably hang around with um, Gonzaga. Because um, I think would win that game, but I, I don't think they would. Certainly, don't think they would blow them out. Um, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I, I think I, they would hang around with some. I think they would give teams from the mid-major level that are ranked with a Buffalo a good game. Or I think they, you know, if if not beat them, they would have a chance to beat them. That may yeah. not answer your question, but. <laughs>
1: Well, it, it, it does, because I, I think there is something to be said for being able to actually win the game. And, you know, you, you talked about how maybe against Elon or against Upstate, they didn't look spectacular, but, you know, you, you see it all the time. With, you know, the Kentucky's changes to the world where they let the, you know, the yeah. inferior team in with them for a half and then they blow them out. And, you know, confirming maybe shouldn't be. Punished for doing the same thing. They're finding a way to win. They're one of a handful of unbeaten teams remaining in the country, and there's something to be said for that.
2: Now, having said that, I think they, you know, being on exams, and there's so much a a student athlete has to... I I think um, they they have two games coming up before they play LSU, uh, Charleston Fulbright tonight, and UNC Wilmington, um, which I think is the more dangerous of the two games For, for Furman um, just because of Kaycock and what he can do. You know, um as far as on the boards and just just a minutes in the paint. Um I, I think they're I watched a little bit of their game UNC Wilmington against North Carolina and I I really like I think they're a well coached team. Uh I, I have a lot of respect for C B McGrath. I think he does a great job and so it'll be interesting to see that matchup on Saturday. Yeah, uh and, absolutely
1: um, I want to talk about UNC Greensboro quickly because mm-hmm. they went to the tournament last year. They gave Gonzaga all they could handle uh, in that mm-hmm. first-round game, yet they seem to be flying a little under the radar this year because Furman and Watford are the two teams that everyone's talking about and deservedly do so. But well, what have you seen from Greensboro this year? What have they done um, that maybe the average fan doesn't know about that you would want to talk about?
2: Well, I think if you look at what they do defensively with um, uh, their links, um, now I think this is probably going to throw a wrench in things because James Dickey, who was the defensive player of the year, um, did not play against Elon. He was in a boot on the sideline. So I don't know the extent of the injury or how long he's out for. Um but if it's a significant injury, uh, they may, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm just guessing they could try to redshirt him. Um if not, uh, then, you know, he'll be back for a significant portion of con- conference play, I just, I can't make a judgment on that. All I can say is that he didn't play and had a, like one of those air castings things on against Elon. So, um having said that, I think, um, Alonzo, to me, is a real intriguing player because, you know, we talk about Fletcher McGee a lot and what he can do as far as shooting the basketball and the ability to score points in a hurry. Where Alonzo is, I think he's, and I, I think he might be, he's not quite as good a shooter as McGee, but I think he might be a more complete guard. if that makes any sense. Um, just if you look at what he does defensively and how he can challenge a defense back with penetration and, and the ability to go to the hoop and actually take it at the at the at the goal. So um you don't see I mean Fletcher can, but you don't see him do that a lot. And I think that's one thing with Alonzo that makes him a little bit different than Fletcher, is his ability to, to you know, kinda of get in the lane and create his own shot. And um Again, I'm not saying Fletcher can't do that. I just think Alonzo poses more of a threat in that way, and I think that that makes them unique. I think you saw that in the Kentucky game, at least in the first half. I think he had 19 in the first half of that game um, against Kentucky, and really, I mean, they were in that game until let's see the last seven and a half minutes, I guess, and they they could have very you know. Kentucky just hit one of those runs like sort of like Kansas did, and that's that's the thing. Is I think that um, I think G's a pretty good team. I think they uh, hit 19 three-pointers down at LSU and lost that game by six. But looking at it now, you might say, well, you know, should UNCG have won that game? Because um, it's not exactly like LSU was supposed to be good, and they've kind of hit a, a couple of hiccups. So now you wonder about that game. But I think all in all, I think what they can do defensively makes them probably, um, behind Furman and Wofford, I would say, that, uh, probably the most dangerous team in a different way because of the way they play defense. And if they get Dickey back and get him healthy, um, I think they'll be those three teams I think will be – um, it wouldn't shock me if any one of them won the Southern office Tournament, so. Um, and then that's not even counting East Tennessee State, who's got a guy named Jer- Jerome Rodriguez, who's like third in the nation in right. Um, Looking at
1: UNCG, um, head coach Wes Miller, he's been there for, it looks like eight years now. He uh, mm-hmm. struggled at first, but he's really turned that thing into into something strong, 25 games two years ago, 27 last year in tournament first. As you said, could certainly get that there this year. What, what is it about him that's made that program so successful over the last couple of years? And is he someone as a coach that maybe people ought to start paying attention to, uh, down the road?
2: Well, I think, yeah, I think so. I think, um, more and more you're seeing guys that are, they're younger, like Miller. Um or, a uh, Richie Ferman that are, they're having some success. I think they're more, I think Wes Miller is probably really, a pro- I'm guessing that he's probably really approachable to a student athlete. Um having played for Roy Williams, uh, helps and, and kids know that. I mean, they're right in that, that triangle or on Tobacco Road right there and, um you know, the ACC tournaments that play there every once in a while in Greensboro. So that, I think that, that was a great hire for UNC Greensboro from the um, perspective that I mean, we've seen it at other places, too, in North Carolina. Uh, a few years ago, a while back, I guess two coaches ago, Eddie Biedenbach at uh, UNC Asheville, an old UNC guy. Um, so I think having that name that name program attached to you and, and having gone through and won a national championship as Wes Miller did, I think that's big and I think that's, you could even go as far as to say, uh, with Scott Padgett at Stanford, I think that helps. You know, a kid wants to know that you've been through it too. You know, been through the wars and now you're going to teach them. So I think being in a main program like a Kentucky or a North Carolina helps. And also I think that Coach Miller is very approachable to, to young men and I, I think he's, I think he, um, has that ability to connect with them that maybe another coach would not, um, just because he's not all that far removed from playing. And so, um, yeah, I think he's a, I think he is a top, uh, I guess, top mover and shaker in the, the coaching industry as a young coach. He's a guy that's going to get a lot of looks sort of like, uh, Nick, Nick McDevitt did at UNC Asheville. Um, I think he's sort of in that same way, but I think he can make a bigger jump.
1: Yeah, certainly, and, and it helps if there are so many other high-major schools in the area, too, that would be logical uh, in the future. So I think pretty much everyone would agree, right, Berman, Wofford, and UNCP are the top three in the conference, whatever order. But then you look a little bit further down, and you gonna see take off to a good start, they East Georgia Southern they be the good one for King. Sorry, the, the Citadel has seems to really be um off to a good start. Are they are those two schools kind of the next tier, or is there somebody else maybe that uh, that we haven't touched on yet?
2: Um, um I think so. I, you know, it's funny, um you know, we talked about uh, even a Mercer, uh they have more of a European flavor to their team this year. Um and so like they're more guard oriented than they have been in the past. I think ETSU uh is I think as with any team that you pretty much put on the floor that's brand new, each and uh, each every two years I guess, like Steve Forbes does. I think it takes them some time to get um their uh, I guess, bearings about them and their chemistry going in the right direction. But um, I, I think once – I think they'll be a team that will be ready after Christmas. Uh, they seem to always be able to get ready for conference play. And they're a team that routinely – I and I would say that I did this last year. Picked, I picked them low because I just didn't – it's just hard. It's kind of like – okay, so it's like the reverse Calipari. It's Like uh you're recruiting basically for two years for a you maybe one, and so like he's he's using that loophole the other way, which is which is totally fine um if you can pull it off, and he knows what he's doing, so you know it, I, I think as far as athletically there is athletics in the team league, maybe the most athletic team in um, the league um that the the problem with them so far has been they haven't quite got the shooting that they expected to get. Um, I think prior to the season, and that has a little bit to do with Bo. Bo Hodges had an injury early in the season. Uh, he was the co-freshman of the year last year in the SoCon. He's a guy that if he if he gets when he gets completely healthy, I think they're, he's going to make a difference, and that's going to make a difference for them as a team. But you know, I watched that Georgia Southern game, and they did a tremendous job defensively. On uh, is it Tukey Brown? I guess is the the guard for Georgia Southern. Yeah, um, they did. A, yes, okay. They did a nice job on him, and uh, I think Isaiah Tisdale, the few post transfer, was guarding him. He did a a wonderful job, and I just think I think when February gets here, the ETSU will be a factor. Interestingly enough, from Steve Forbes. He said that Wofford was the most physical team they had faced this year. And then, they, of course, ETSU played Illinois this weekend. And some people would say, well, Illinois is the toughest team you guys will play. He's like, no, nah, it's not going to be the toughest team to will play this year. And they, they may say that. but um, So I, I think that's a great upset opportunity you know, coming up on Saturday for East Tennessee State. I think that's a winnable game. You know, Illinois lost to Chattanooga, I think, a couple of years ago. And so, um, they, they're, they're, um, they're not a program that ETSU will be scared of, I, I guess I should say. And then you look at the Citadel, what they do. I mean, they had a bad loss at Texas. They play well at Clemson, um, to open the season, but bad loss at, at Texas. But then you look at, I, I don't know, South Florida is not good, but, you know, for the Citadel to get that win is a, it's over a name conference. That's a big win for them. And if, if you look at what they did to High Point, it's just, I think that's even more impressive than getting the win over South Florida. But, um, I, I think the Citadel, you know, they, they do what they do well. It's sometimes it's going to result in a blowout and some, but more often than not, it's going to result in an, either an upset or them being in a game in a game that maybe they wouldn't be in if they didn't play that style of basketball.
1: Yeah, so so the style you're talking about, they like to push the tempo. They score a lot of points. It, is it fair to call it like a, a run-and-gun kind of system that they play?
2: Yeah, and he, actually when I talked to Duger Balcom this summer, he was telling me, I think it's, is it Grinnell, the school in yeah. Iowa? Yep, he's, he's good he, he's he's coach. Coach. Okay. And so coach. Okay, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> That's their style, like um so like he 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 talks to that coach, he said, I think like every week, and um, they share ideas, he loves uh you know, I think he had some kind of you know maybe an acquaintance uh with Loyola and Mary now in the early nineties um on that staff uh, when they had pink gathers in uh Bo Kimball, so I think there's that's his connection. um funny thing about him is he actually served on, uh, the staff at Western Carolina when Kevin Martin was there and was prior to that, started his career as the director of basketball operations for Bob McKillop at Davidson. So, um he's had some good, uh, experience in, in getting to know guys that, that are successful, like Coach McKillop. He, he said he still often talks to, so. I always thought it would be interesting to hear a conversation because between them, while Davidson likes to push it a little bit, I don't know that they like to shoot quite so many uh, just threes out of the offense. Um, so I always wonder what a conversation between Bob McKillick and Duger Balkin might sound like.
1: That's actually a, a good question. And we get uh, you know, the, the Atlantic 10 tournament up here in, in New York, so maybe when I see Bob McKillick uh in March, I, I could ask him about that. So I'm sure that would be a great conversation. And he loves to talk.
4: Uh will oh, sure talk
1: my ear off about it. Yeah, um, so I could do that. Uh Kind of stepping back here quickly, I don't have a lot of time left here. Um Out of the schools, you haven't really touched on. Give, give me one who wouldn't surprise you if they made some noise and well, won a couple of games, that maybe on paper they shouldn't.
2: Uh, Western Carolina. Um, while I thought that they might be, you know, you never know how it's going to go with a coaching change. Like um, when when Coach Hunter uh, stepped down or retired after the, the tournament game last year and then um, they had that tragedy, of course, with him just a little over a month uh, later passing away. Um, you always wonder what the psyche of the program is going to be like, but I think they hired – a guy in Mark Prosser that knew how to handle that, right? I mean, because his, his father, his own father, he had to handle that, you know, like when he was, you know, in coaching school or as an assistant. So I think now that I look back on it, that was kind of like the perfect hire for them to hold things together, if that makes sense, Um, because he knew uh how to keep certain guys there, and then he knew how to, to, to add in some guys that were, um, beneficial, uh, to success. I, I think Carlos Dotson, the, the guy from, um, uh, down in central Florida, I think community college, uh, the Juco transfer, um, he's a guy that, that really, he just uses his body well. He's, he'll tell you himself he's not very athletic. He was like, I'm one of the few 6'8 guys that I know that, I struggled dunking dunking the ball. So but he said I use what I have to my advantage and he was actually in tenth grade given letters to play at Louisville football as a defensive end. Which I thought was pretty 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 cool. Um but he's incredibly good at using his body sealing off of that. If You don't double team him, uh, it's gonna be trouble because one on one you're just not gonna you're not gonna be able to stop. Um and I think with matt halverson that he's one of the better shooters in the league from the perimeter um he's a he's a good player to to kind of um he's been there a year now he's he's a sophomore and then you've got another guy in Cameron Gibson who's kind of a slasher he can he can shoot from the outside but he can also take it to the bucket. They're getting better as it goes along now the inconsistency is the thing that you get with some young teams that's been a problem you know they'll play. And I know Wake Forest is not, you know, some of the teams that they have played. But, for instance, they got, I guess they got blocked by SMU. And uh Dotson was telling me, he said, you know, SMU would not beat Furman. And we almost beat Furman. He was like, Furman's one of the best teams we played. And we played within, you know, double overtime within two points them. But then F- SMU just overwhelmed us from the beginning, and so, like, I think if if those those kids are still young, some, a lot of their players, I think if they get um, a little bit of cohesion as the team goes along, and that's something you can't learn. You just have to go through it, and I think that I think they'll be pretty dangerous. I wouldn't want to meet them in, a like, a first-round Southern Conference tournament game. That would be a team I wouldn't want to face. Not it.
1: And I guess the, the last question, real quick, give me your call. Who wins the contest?
2: Regular season and tournament, or
1: <laughs>
2: both? Either whichever you prefer. Um. So I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to say, Wofford and Furman tie for the regular season championship, and then. I think Furman's probably I, I think they'll win the tournament i'm I'm pretty certain that this is the best team a best opportunity that they've had a team that can win three games in three a since nineteen eighty um so i'll pick I'll pick wafford and Furman to split in the regular season and split the title, but I'll take Furman in the tournament fair
1: enough that sounds good. Uh thank you again for doing this. Um, thank you for joining us. I think this is a, a great talk. Um, hopefully, fans of the SoCon and just college basketball fans in general were uh, able to learn a lot from here. I, I, I know I did, so thank you. And thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. For John Hooper, I'm Russ Steinberg. We will talk to you again
2: soon.
4: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
0: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back.